This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. All right, see the numbers? Okay. They're definitely moving. <laughs> you gave me almost no warning. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get going. I mean, we can get kicked out of here any any moment. We're at Flathead Lake. We are in Montana. Um, and it is cherry season. It's like every 20 feet there's a there's a booth trying to sell you cherries. Right. And but, and we said we'll stop if any of them say organic. We saw one that said no spray, but it was kind of like the sign was so small. It's kind of like we're going by. And it was a you pick. We don't have time for you pick. We got to make a podcast. <gasps> right. Yeah. We got to get it. You know, it's like okay, uh, squeeze all the things in, get back to the to Wheaton Labs, and um, you know, get it all done. 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 In fact, speaking of Wheaton Labs, of course, um, I just want to do a quick shout out that uh, Josiah, uh, he won one of the tickets uh, from the uh, Kickstarter. Oh, you're jumping ahead. No, it's, uh, so uh, it ties into calling it Wheaton Labs, okay. right? And and it's like, so uh, uh, he got to he got a ticket to go to the PDC and the ATC, and um, I don't know, he just decided to stick around, and so he's been kind of doing some time in the boot camp, and he's been doing some time uh, working on that uh, solar glass recycler. Yeah. And there's those pictures of him. <laughs> you see the one with him looking like a mad scientist? Yeah, those welding the- goggles. <laughs> And the wild hair and beard. Yeah, yeah. it's well, awesome. Well, you gotta you gotta wear the welding goggles yeah. when you're working on that thing because when the sun gets going, it's like oh. that's too bright to look at. Oh, even with the welding goggles, he said, you you have to be very careful. Yeah. Well, we've got the welding helmets out for mm-hmm. arc welding, mm-hmm. and they do a pretty good job. Okay. <laughs> they get the, they get it done. Okay. So, um, but anyway, it kind of goes with the Wheaton Labs thing. Yeah. You know, and along those lines, Allerton Abbey is coming along a lot. We've got a lot of boots in the boot camp right now, although there are still two openings in the boot camp. That's a good announcement. Two openings yeah. in the boot camp. Yes. Um, but they're making some real good progress. And it's looking really beautiful. So English Fred. So we got a Fred here from England, and we got two a, Freds. We got we got a Fred Fest, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're we're infested with Freds. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, English Fred, uh, he did he added some art in there with the Cobb because of course Cobb really wants to be art. It just begs to be art. And, I haven't been up there to see it. I would love to see it. Yeah, it's looking really really wonderful. It's going nice. to be so nice, nice when it's done. Well, along with announcements, let's start cruising through. Okay, our list. all right, all right. Uh, so the Kickstarter is done. Uh, I think everybody knows that. But but um, after I had to have been more than a month of doing the layout. Oh man, I never knew it could be so complicated. And there was like some bits where it's like you just gotta let it go. So it's like the footnotes. I wanted the footnotes to be like you know like used op- optimal space and it's like no they're all going to be a list at the bottom of each page because like a lot of pages have like seven footnotes right and it's like i kind of thought there'd be like you know 
footnotes across the bottom, like like maybe uh, three columns or something on those pages, but instead it's just one long list, and it's like, ah. Uh. Now we thought the we thought the book was going to be two hundred pages. And it's ending up something around 180. So um, it turned out we had more real estate than we thought. So we trimmed more than we needed to. Um, and uh, uh, oh, and there's tons of doodles throughout. Although we just recently made the decision that the ebook version is going to be light on doodles because when people read an ebook, there's this reflowable format so people could read it on phones as well as tablets yeah. and desktops and all the things. So it's going to be lighter on doodles, but it's going to the printer. It's That's gone to the, the printer. Big news. It's gone to the printer. As of 2 days ago, it went to the printer. Amazing. Now we got to get all of the, uh, the the printers. The printer said four weeks, so it's probably going to be like four years. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's like like I remember the first time that the playing cards went to the printer. It's like uh, it was supposed to be four weeks, and it ended up being like I don't know nine weeks, ten weeks, something like that. And they just kind of had this long list of little things they just kept saying, like, "Well, now we got it. We didn't know." And it's like I. Yeah. Anyway, it's at the printer. It's supposed to be four weeks, which means that the signing party should be around the end of August, beginning of September, sometime around there. And you know, this is a good time to uh, put a big shout out for Jack Spearco and Stephen Harris, who um, uh, brought us in uh, quite a quite a good chunk of coin. I mean, I think Jack sent an announcement to his people every day throughout the yeah. entire Kickstarter. And of course, if someone's new to the podcast, Jack Spearco is with the Survival Podcast and Stephen Harris is with Knowledge Publications, correct? Yes. 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 And um, uh, I think I think a, a hilarious thing is, as always, uh, I think 25 different people who had a Kickstarter where they said, if you support my Kickstarter, I'll support yours. Uh, uh, all 25 of those people did not support my Kickstarter. And, and it's like, uh, and it's like suddenly it's like my email was broken or something yeah. and it, it just got nothing. And although there was one of them where I noticed that, uh, we supported his Kickstarter, we brought him like, I think like $9,000. Wow. We put him into the funded space. He was going to be not funded and we put him well in the funded space. And, um, I did notice that, uh, about, uh, six hours after I sent him the email asking him for his support, like maybe he could throw out a mention to his Kickstarter supporters. Uh, he did send out an update to his Kickstarter supporters, but no mention of my Kickstarter. Yeah. And it's like, isn't that hilarious? It's just, it's just the way it is. Well, you did get support with loads of people who have also had Kickstarters in the past who provided digital rewards. That the, is true. The rewards were just off the charts for this that's true that is so true yeah so many rewards so oh yeah many stretch goals so many uh, amazing digital rewards i think it's kind of overwhelming to be a recipient of so many digital rewards 
That's true. That's true. We did that is an extremely good point. We got yeah. we got. Uh, I mean, it's nothing makes you feel like man, you are a loved person when you get that much because it's like yeah. I think I think that for the early bird stuff there was like thirty two things. Gosh, so uh, thirty two different things. Like if you support during the first seventy two hours, then you'll get thirty two different things from all these different people. Yeah. Um, you know, like uh, chapter of books or um, uh, plans for something or, you know, all this stuff. There was just right. videos, um, uh, you know, classes, right. uh, gobs of stuff. And yeah. then we did the stretch goals and uh, we got a, a big, long list of people. Yeah. Um, and, and we just got through processing... Um, uh, no, oh wait, we're about to process Michael. Just, but we did do uh, ERE, Early Retirement Extreme. We got that one done. So um, tons of, but anyway, there was just a, a long, long parade of people of great things that that went out. That yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people really came through. Uh, it's it's funny people, uh, yeah, like you said, did not promote your stuff on their yeah. emails, but they did share in a big way with digital content. Right, and we had a kickback in everything. We yeah. offered them like a pretty healthy kickback. Like, right. hey, you. It's like I know we sent some fat money off to Stephen Harris and yeah. Jack Spirico. Yeah, and uh, and there were like several other people who. In fact, there was one guy. Um, uh, we, we we sent a big check to uh, uh, David the Good, and then there was a guy named uh, David Wang, uh, who's um, just an artist. And uh, I don't know. He's like, oh, I just told some people, <laughs> and it's like it turned out whatever. You said totally worked, right? <laughs> you know, and so there were anyway. All right, there so were people like that too, which is awesome. All right, the big thing is, is that I wanted to give an update about the Kickstarter. Thanks to all the people that supported it, and yeah. uh, now the 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 book is off to uh, the printer. And I kind of feel like, man, I am starting to think that a publisher is the way to go because that was that was an enormous amount of work, and Sean took on the lion's share of the layout stuff. Yeah, and so um, it's it's kind of like, and there's still more more work to do. But Sean's uh, soon our relationship is going to be um, where each person gets an unlimited distribution license. And right. so um, uh, basically our transaction will be complete. Right. And so we each can take the book and sell it as far and wide as we can. And yeah. Sean's got big plans. Right. And that kind of works because Sean is in Canada and you're in America. And sometimes it's hard to, you know ship between countries so that that can be a good thing and the only reason that we're even doing this at all is because sean listened to all the podcasts and he heard the podcast where i said anybody want to do the book yeah and although i am a little uh uh surprised because like when we do a, a dvd project i think that there's a couple of a couple hundred hours of work that goes into a dvd project but the book is like more than 1500 hours each and i think it's it might be getting close to 2000 hours each that's immense yeah immense project it's way way <laughs> way bigger than i ever thought it would be yeah. but i also think that it's like you can make an ebook without too much trouble but we wanted to go all out and do a first class book well yeah what you guys were doing and like you said all the footnotes you were trying to have footnotes for so many 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 statements in the book plus you did a lot of um 
you know, had a lot of people give feedback and input, and that's time-consuming yeah. to go through all of that, too. Right, right. Okay, so moving along. Mm-hmm. Today's podcast is about the problem is the solution, and we're going to tie it into community stuff. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna present uh, when we get here in a little while. We're gonna present three different things that are problems. Like man, that how do you solve that problem? That is, and then I'm going. Then we're gonna get to <laughs> we're gonna get to solving the problem. But um, and I think it's been a big big realization in the last couple of months how the problem is the solution in this particular case. Yeah. But. Um, all right, let's go through the... But we're going to get to that, though, here in a yeah, moment. Yeah. Um, we were going through all of the different podcast notes because it's been a while since I've made a podcast with Paul. and um, Right. We have to take a trip away from the house. <laughs> That's what gee, it takes. Gee, I wonder why. Maybe you're trying to say, like, take me out more often. <laughs> And then I'll make more podcasts like that. Some, not exactly, but it Which ended gonna, up being like that. We're going to be in the Seattle area soon. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I have wanted to make more podcasts with you. We tried to schedule it a while back and then both our schedules went off the charts and we had to stop it. But anyway, we've, we've got plans for more and more podcasts, but we had this weird random note in our podcast notes from January when we took a trip so this is 2019 and and it's now july the end of july and we had taken a trip to the seattle area in january and uh paul was just amazed at how everything was covered in slime right we left we left montana where um there was uh um snow and ice you know but then as we like crossed the pass that disappeared and and um uh but it wasn't that bad in january and then and then we got to seattle where there was not snow and ice but yeah it was like it was even where we were staying like the steps down to where we were staying were slippery with this green slime yeah and And it was just on everything we had someone from the seattle area and he's like it doesn't get slimy and it's a different kind of thing it is a mildew it's a green coating that gets on everything it'll even make a cement walkway slippery like people have to power wash or scrub off their cement walkways which are a rough surface walkway but they get slippery because so much of this mildew sits up your lawn furniture if you don't clean off your lawn furniture when you sit on it you'll be coated with green on your backsides so it's an incredible amount of maintenance on your deck your walkways your lawn furniture just to uh, for safety and for cleanliness i mean you can't sit on this lawn chair like i said without washing the green stuff off first so it's it's kind of amazing we don't have that issue in montana we uh we have ice which of course is a safety issue um but really we're a dry enough climate that the ice isn't even too much of a problem. And you can leave wood lawn furniture, wood steps out all year, and you never have to scrub off or power wash off that slime. Right, right. We don't have the slime. No. We just and it's and it's like so if you're not used to the slime and then you get down there and you see it and it's kinda like this is this is is just everywhere. It's on everything. I mean like as you drive down the road, you see it on 
everything. Yeah. And then when you have a when you have a house or something or a, a store, they must be going out there and power spraying it off or something. Yeah, pretty intense. But yeah. anyway, just an odd random comment. A big difference that we forgot about because we both lived, and that's how we met in the Seattle area. Right, and and we did choose to take off the one with the possum, the professional possum. Yes. Sitting there in that same spot for three days, yeah. you know, pretending to be dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, all right. We have eleven people at Wheaton Labs right now. Yeah. And uh, of course, Fred's Paul been there. And I, Paul and I are in that eleven. Right. Yeah. Right. So Fred uh, passed his four-year mark recently. I think that's you know pretty impressive. Yeah. Plus, on top of that, for all this time, he's been doing so much work that he's become, I believe, quite the expert in natural building and homesteading and all kinds of things. And of course, he's the one that's leading the, the boot camp. And he arrived with a bunch of experience. That's a guy who's not afraid to figure shit out. I mean, oh yeah, just he gives a shit and figures it out. So yeah, those two qualities are huge and give him superhero capes. You know, like every week he's earning another superhero cape. Yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> so, yeah. he's getting all yeah. <laughs> Oh, we talked about Josiah earlier, and then um, and Jennifer was another one who got one of the tickets uh, through the Kickstarter, and uh, so she attended the PDC and the ATC, and then decided to stay, and yeah. now she's uh, uh, also talking about uh, staying through the winter to do the annualized thermal inertia test in Allerton Abbey. Yeah, that's exciting. I think everybody is excited and pulling together. This whole group is so cohesive and having so much fun with each other. They're all pulling together to get the Abbey done to get Jennifer in there, you know, because it's Jennifer, you know, and everybody's loving everybody else. That <laughs> yeah. they're it's really a sweet group right now. You know, we have folks here from New York, from Missoula, <laughs> and from England, like you mentioned, Fred. English Fred. Yeah. yeah. And and from the South. So yeah. Pretty awesome. Um yeah, and you already went through some of the recent boot camp projects, Allerton Abbey. And they've been doing lots of chop and drop for us this year. We're really trying to encourage so many of our growies. And we're doing a little bit better in that space. But quite often, events and other projects take priority over our growies. So our growies are kind of a lot of times, good luck, you're on your own, like you like to say. Well, I think another thing is, is that the cistern is mysteriously low. And um, and I kind of feel like... With a hugel culture, the idea is is that you're supposed to irrigate it like a normal garden the first year, and then you irrigate it half as much the second year, and then you don't irrigate it at all the third year and beyond. And so the hugel cultures that are around the house have never been irrigated. And I kind of thought, okay, this year, let's do it. And then when the time comes that the cistern gets low, that um, what we'll do is we'll take the fire truck out and we'll go get some water and we'll see to it that it gets thoroughly irrigated, properly irrigated. Let's really build the soil in these. I mean, granted, right now they're already turned into a jungle. But I know that, like, last uh, last year, it was around the 1st of September, I wanted to go get comfrey cuttings, and I found that the dirt where the comfrey was was like cement. Because it dried out so much. Yeah, and so I went and got the soil sampling tool, and I could not find any soil at that time. Everything was, like, you know, crunchy. So I thought, oh, that's right, we never took the time to really so i mean like right now there's like 
I don't know, 20 times more life in each of these Hugel cultures than there was when we first built them. I meant to ask you, um, when Alan Booker uh, did soil samples and, and they looked at soil samples under the microscope for the PDC, he said our soils seemed to be deficient in um, some nemato- nematodes and some protozoa or something. Did he give that report to you? I can't recall exactly I, what it I was. I remember a quick overview, and I kind of thought, yeah, you know, we're still working on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but in order to, you know, what I want to do is I want to accelerate basically turning it into a magnificent garden soil. Um, but to, to do that, then for one year, I, I think it would go much faster, like we would cut five years off if we irrigate it one year. And it's like, uh, so even though they're doing really, really great right now, I want to take them up a notch. Yeah. I want to get to the point where we can grow anything we want without any irrigation. Yeah. And I think that part of that recipe is you got to irrigate for the first year. And yeah. so we, and we haven't, we just haven't done that. So, um, but then of course, the fire truck uh, gets mechanical problems and has to go yes. into the shop. Right. And so it's like, damn it. <laughs> they just got it fixed, too. They just got the pumps fixed so it could actually pump water from the water tank on the back and then. And then, yeah, it was, the, it was the brakes. You know, yeah. it had to go into the shop. It's kind of good to have brakes. Yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, another thing on the list is the pavilion, which is a, a fancy pants name for that super ugly space between the Fisher-Price house and the library. Right. Yeah. It's always it's, been an eyesore. Yeah. So the Fisher-Price house was a, a replacement um, double-wide mobile home for an original double mobile home that was there. And it didn't take up the same footprint. So it left like this gappy, weird space with cement pads meant for mobile home wheels. <laughs> And, and exposed like duck, you know, utility duct crap and and a decaying deck in between the two buildings. So yeah, it's been an eyesore. It's been an awkward space. And I think it was Uncle Mud who came up with this idea in the ATC on what to do with it, right? So it was during the ATC. It was it was me and Mud and like five other people, and we sat down Students. there uh-huh. for like um, uh, I don't know, like maybe an hour. And said, "Okay, let's let's brainstorm. Let's do. Let's figure out what to do with this spot." And I think you opted to not be there because you would find it frustrating. And um, I was trying to get work done. I was. I was. You were cooking. still cooking for all, for yeah. both events. I was three cooking. meals a day. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Everybody was very happy with all the food, and you did three meals a day with you know. And then you didn't ask for help, but a little bit of whenever help Did- came, you made you made the food fancier. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. It was it was a lot of pretty basic food, but it was people had the impression it was just going to be plain oats, beans and rice, and it was it was a level up from that. So, but it was still pretty basic, simple food. Well, you would like do overnight oats, which are yummier. And then uh, you would put lots of fruit in there and coconut milk, and it was like, you know, pretty luxuriant for oats. The way I do them is in a crock pot, by the way, not the way a lot of people do. But anyway, it was, um, uh, which I learned from another of our cooks in the past. Okay. 
but uh, anyway, fun. It was fun to do the food. It did take long days, and uh, I did not have time to sit around and talk about the design of the pavilion. So, so the pavilion idea, I was like, okay, we want a place where we can run all the rockety, the rocket oven, the the rocket uh, stove-like things, the J tube rocket stoves, um, uh, all kinds of different rocket things. Right, and, right outside the kitchen. And solar ovens, and make it you know right next to the Fisher Price house, but a place where they could be protected from the weather to some degree um, and be able to do all this stuff. And um, so there was a lot of back and forth and back and forth. And then we came up with the pavilion idea. The, um, uh, they came up with the, the word pavilion, which, um, boy, I don't know if we'll ever be able to build something that, you know, <laughs> meets that. That seems like a hoity-toity word to me. Well, it basically, see, a gazebo is usually a specific kind of structure. But a pavilion is uh, quite often... It doesn't always have to be a, a, a solid roof. The pavilion could be more like an arbor-type roof on the top, and it's, and it's not necessarily... Uh, and it doesn't always have a floor. Like, a gazebo usually has a floor and a roof. Mm. Uh, I think is my, uh, but a pavilion, um, is more, uh, open to interpretation of just like a covering, whether it's just like an arbor style covering, well, that's open or whether it is roof style covering over grounds that are not necessarily have a floor. That's, that's what I'm thinking. So the first thought was a deck. And then the suggestion came along of like, this particular property has a ton of rock. Yeah, and, and sand. And so if we use sand from Arrakis between the rock that's everywhere, can we make, you know, something that's uh, rocks and rock and sand, like, you know, use the rocks like um, pavers. Yes. Uh, and so um, uh, that is now the plan, and it's starting to come together. And there was a big stone right in the middle that was below the deck. And uh, so we had uh, yeah, a jackhammer to that. It was awkward because it was below the deck, but it was above the cent- cement pads. Mm-hmm. So you had this really awkward um, differences in height of surfaces and and really um, and things to cover up. So the awesome thing is putting rocks and sand down is bringing that um, level even and nice so that we can eventually take down that rotting deck. So I guess uh, a big thing is is that uh, that was one of the projects that the Boots have been working on. Yes. And uh, they did that for half a day, one day. But most of their time has been up at Allerton Abbey. Uh, and they've also spent some uh, time with a tanglefoot fence over right. on Fred's plot. Yes. Yes. There was quite a bit of event cleanup, too. So this is what happens with the boot camp. You know, a lot of times they end up facilitating and helping, you know, when we have big events. Um, and there was quite a bit of cleanup from that. So, yeah, as well as the solar glass recycler. You know, you mentioned Josiah's right. been working on that. Right. So there's there's cool cool stuff going on. All right. <clears throat> now to get into the today's topic, it's uh, we felt like it's important to, to kind of 
uh, do a quick gloss over what are the things that we wish to accomplish by by doing all of this. So right. so um, we're taking we're going to take decades out of our lives, and uh, not to mention the money to buy land and the money to try and pull so much of this together to get it all started and try to make it happen. So why are we doing this? And so let's do a quick recap of that. Right, right. Um, so it's it. It's the mission and vision, although we haven't created formal mission or vision statements because we're not that formal, but um, Wheaton Labs aims to grow the future leaders of permaculture. Right, and that's because most of the people that are uh, already leaders in permaculture, they already have a plot of land. Right. They already have projects they're doing. They're already tied to a community. So what we, what I think we need to do is find people that are not so tied and see if we can attract them here. Yeah. And and then maybe 5, 10, 15 years from now, they might be the leadership uh, or leaders for the permaculture community. And I wish to incubate and accelerate their skills at, at defining the future of permaculture. Right. Um, and so I kind of feel like what it is is to get a bunch of plots, with a bunch of them all next to each other, and then because they're near each other, they help each other, even if they're not directly doing it. It's an, it's, I mean, the, the, just the indirectness enough will accelerate. Well, I really like that incubator term because I've been working with farm organizations that do lots of um, farm, you know, new farmer incubator sites and things like that. And, and not only uh, do we dream of uh, beginners in permaculture or, or not even just beginners, but any stage of people doing permaculture coming and living at Wheaton Labs in whether, whatever capacity, whether they're in the boot camp, whether they're renting at Ant Village, whether they're deep roots, or whether they just want to rent something at base camp. And um, But whatever capacity they are as a resident at Wheaton Labs, that we are a, not only do we incubate permaculture leaders in that sense and that's the vision and the mission but also you've done so much with the rocket mass heater jamborees and that's been a rocket mass heater innovators event that you've wanted to facilitate more innovation in that technology the atc the appropriate technology course is to facilitate more innovation in that so even if those people aren't residents people can come in and experience and try and innovate and we have uh, fantastic tools and resources to help people do that kind of um, acceleration of these things. So that, and that leads to the next thing is to kind of make a little bit of a permaculture theme park. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be good, like especially in the wintertime, for people to come here and experience rocket mass heaters. Yeah, well, <clears throat> and we talked about all these people and people coming in and stuff, but we didn't mention what it's like to have these other like-minded people compound your velocity. It's an exponential yes. thing. I mean, just you guys sitting around and talking about what to do about the pavilion, you know, I mean, that was a simple little thing and not an earth-shattering problem, but, you know, except the jackhammer. Ha, ha, ha. 
but yeah, for six years I didn't come up with a solution that I thought was worth a damn. Right, but five <clears> people <throat> talking about it, bouncing ideas off of each other, and when you have that, and this has always been part of your vision, like is is, and it's part of the Ant Village vision, is you have these different plots where people are becoming permaculture artisans in seed and soil, and by living right next to each other and seeing, I mean not right next to each other, these are acre plots, you know, it's not like a city, but uh, uh, more like a village, right? So, but when they're seeing and experiencing what other people are doing, it'll help them do all their things better too. We have YouTube, we have the internet, we have all these ways to learn, but seeing it in real life in a neat space is far better. Makes and a it, big difference. And and the velocity is is compounded or, or is is exponential. Right. So now again, <clears throat> these are things that we're taking decades of our life and everything that we have and money and you and I are each working about a hundred hours a week to try and see if we can find a way to get it to all come together. And so, you know, these are these are some of the things that we are trying to do, what we want to try to achieve. Right. And when we say we, we're doing a very collective we. Yeah. And with all the different people who have come here uh, incrementally to help with incremental change, to help with incremental, you know, moving things forward. Right. Um, all right. Next next on this list, someday build a Wafati to house 20 people without stabbing each other. <clears throat> um, and, and hopefully we'll come up with a recipe such that uh, the 20 people can live under one roof without stabbing each other. And that recipe will be replicable. Right. So there could be thousands of different um, properties throughout the United States that would would follow this idea, but we got to get one to work. We're we're working and and adjusting and um, we're observing what works. We're taking in feedback. We're doing all these permaculture principles with our community design at Wheaton Labs, and the first few years we had people like. What? I don't get it. And and now the last year or two, most of our boots have been you guys are so generous. This is so cool. You guys are really doing you know, and then they fall in love and leave. But Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> but it's still um um We're offering a dating <laughs> service it seems. <laughs> I think um, I think we're in a you know as we said we're in a really sweet spot with the community right now but it's um, it's it's hard to get all the aspects to work for people but we're working really really hard at it and we're continually making improvements and and it's just so fun to have more appreciative people come through like the boots most of the boots the last year or two even though we provide mostly vegan staples mostly rice and bean staples and a lot of peanut butter we provide so much fresh food and everything is organic or as much as we can organic and high quality and nutritious with a focus on healthful nutritious food that most people are blown away at the good food we have at Wheaton Labs as part of the boot camp, even though we're trying to keep it somewhat frugal. So we've just had people really appreciative and really enjoying 
what we offer lately, which has been a nice, nice change. Nice. Uh, so I would say another thing, which I'm not seeing on the list right away and uh, directly, is um, oh yeah, there it is. I want some. I want to have somebody come here who's got who's who's really ill, like stage four cancer. Yeah. Um, and then uh, in a week, we've gotten we've gotten it to the point that that, that it's either gone away entirely or. Yeah. It's it's well on its way to being gone. Like yeah. like suddenly their health has returned dramatically because I believe that uh, uh, most Ill, ailments that people are suffering from comes from their environment. Can be. And so I want to create an environment where it's not only the, it's the combination of the polyculture food, uh, permaculture food, and also uh, living in a, a structure that's designed to be uh, non-toxic from the ground up. Right. Um, uh, or at least the least toxic. It has one one-hundredth theoretically, of the toxins, yeah. that that could be a solution. Yeah, so there are areas at Wheaton Labs, and this is all under the the little uh, bullet point of pushing boundaries. You know, the least toxic, the most sustainable, the most health-promoting, and, and a part of the least toxic thing is, is new to a lot of people, even people who are experienced with permaculture. We don't compost paper. That's new to a lot of people. Um, and we're trying horticultural things without inputs because inputs are quite often a toxin vector. And yeah. people don't even know it. So, you know, you buy this compost that's supposedly organic, but it could be... Uh, laced with persistent herbicides. You get wood chips from the local arborist. Those could be laced with persistent herbicides. Yep. You know, there's just so many vectors for toxins with external inputs that I know we've spent hours, hours, hours. We have gotten some external inputs just to facilitate certain projects and things, but hours have gone into sourcing the ones that we feel are the safest and the least toxic. So that's a really different aspect that a lot that's brand new to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, and it even goes into the natural building. Like no, no plywood, no chipboard. I mean, no, that's full of toxins. So um, these kind of things are a surprise, and they push boundaries for a lot of people. I think when we talk about no inputs, we're also going for no irrigation. Yes, <clears throat> and part of the thing that we struggle with, and I'm not sure we ever shared this um, in a podcast. I mean, we did share the story of the well, and um, but the amount of water that we get out of our well, I think for a normal house to get a certificate of occupancy, the well must produce at least three gallons of water per minute. And our well produces a third of a gallon. So we, we already have one tenth of the water for what is needed to get a certificate of occupancy for most of the United States. But even more than that, um, uh, when we have groups and we have one tenth of the water of what uh, a, a normal house has, then um, uh, I think I think we're doing a, a great job of getting by. But at the same time, our food systems need to not be dependent upon that water. We're parked at a boat launch, and there's a boat trailer coming quite close to our car at the moment. Yeah. But um. Okay. Yeah. Moving along. 
Yeah. The, all right. I think that... Um, uh, that explains more thoroughly than I think we have in a podcast, the mission and vision of, of Wheaton Love. Right. And there's a lot of people who bitch about us, and they aren't trying any of these things. It's pretty easy to sit back and say, you're doing it all wrong, and you haven't even tried to do any of it at all. Oh, right. And that's... Um, that's we didn't even talk about animal systems. We are going to be... We are haven't uh, we've had animal systems in the past or other residents have not mm-hmm. you and I and we are waiting to make sure we have the most humane the most respectful animal systems right. we can uh, and so that's why we don't have animals yet so that's a part of it too I still feel like we're gardening gardeners yeah. you know and the gardening gardeners comes ahead of our own gardening yeah, yeah, it has. It has in a lot of ways. And so, all right. And one of the one of the things that's that's going to relate to the things we're going to get to here in just a moment is that I believe, and I know I know I haven't shared this in a podcast before, is that I think we are offering a third try community. And so, what we're doing here is something um, where a lot of people will go to a community, they'll get stars in their eyes, and they'll be like, I'm going to go and join this community. It's such a dreamy place. Not not us, someplace else. And um, and after all, uh, we don't offer consensus. And they're like, that's, that's terrible. The, the people that have never tried community before, they're going to think that what we offer is bad. What we offer is terrible. And that's fine. That's cool. They're going to go someplace else. And um, and then within two years, generally, they're going to leave and, um, you know, with a dark cloud. They're going to have had a poor experience. Right. And they, they want out. But they still want community. But they're going to think that one just wasn't the right one. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to go to a second try community, something where it's, it doesn't have the problems that were, you know, um, all over in that first one. Yeah. And so uh, they go to the second one. And then after a couple of years, they leave that one also with another dark cloud. So I kind of feel like we are a third try community. So for people that um, have have done the community thing twice and still desire community, um, then I think that what we're offering is for those people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have much to add to that. So, um, yeah. I Oh, well, and I... Part of it is like when, you know, they got burned by consensus. And I feel like this is my own story. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.